Blog Talk Radio. From Touchdown Alabama Magazine and Drew DeArmond of ESPN 97.7 The Zone joining us as we speak. Lots to talk about tonight. We'll talk Bama baseball, Bama softball, Bama basketball, at least the recruiting part of it, and a little bit of Bama football. So, uh, big show. Should be fun. So, have a good guest lined up for you. And uh, now I'm going to go ahead and bring in Drew uh, because Drew. the Alabama baseball team bowed out of the SEC tournament and maybe the NCAA tournament with their 5-4 to four loss to Florida. Uh, based on some conversations with some people that know more about it than me, uh, it doesn't sound too good. No, it's uh, not too good. I wouldn't put them in. Uh, I don't think they deserve it. Uh, they finished 16-17. Uh, and 17. Overall in the SEC, they didn't win enough games. They're 32. 32- Two and 26 overall. Their RPI is near 60 because they couldn't win enough midweek games. Uh, they, they should have been in a around, mm, I'd say, a 38-win team, but they couldn't get the job done against UAB. They split with them. Uh, they couldn't get the job done against South Alabama, who whacked them eight two. Uh, they he has a really good team, uh, probably a second seed in the regional. That that's really the only one that you can uh, kind of tip your hat to. But they, they couldn't handle UAB, uh, got drilled by them in Birmingham, lost on a walk-off to Samford, uh, lost 10-1 to in the Capital City Classic to Auburn, who was terrible, uh, the worst team in the SEC, and split four games with them overall. Uh, you know, they really needed to have swept them at home also. They really needed to go 4-0 against that Auburn team. Uh, they did not. So, and you know, and so when you when you think about all that and you think they did sweep Troy, that's the only real in-state school uh, that they had success against. But, I mean, you, you just you have to be able to beat, uh, win those midweek games as well as compete in the SEC. And, uh, once again, that's kind of been a bugaboo under Mitch Gaspar that they didn't take care of business in the midweek. And uh, when you don't do that and you, and you, uh, and you, and you lose to South Alabama, Auburn, uh, in Sanford and UAB, you can argue they're the fifth best team in their own state. Uh, and I've said that before and uh, because they did not win those season series against those teams. And, uh, and it, it's really come back to haunt them. And uh, they uh, and because of that, I just don't think uh, they're going to uh, get into the tournament. Uh, they did lose a heartbreaker to Florida. But here's the bottom line. They had every chance in the world. You have Jake Walter pitching logan shore is quote unquote sick though from what i've been told today i don't know how sick he really was i do think he was a little under the weather but i think florida felt like they could still roll out one of their b-list 
pictures, which they did, uh, and then beat Alabama and Brady Singer. He was had a four nine five earned run average, and Alabama lost to Zach Houston, who's a talented arm, but still not one of Mississippi State's front line guys, and nearly got shut out by them. I mean, uh, it was kind of funny as I tweeted at Drew Shamp when he talked about. Uh, Andy Phillips getting run in the seventh inning for arguing what was a, a bad call on a check swing. All I told him was, well, hashtag start packing, because at the very least, I think we've seen the last of Andy Phillips. But in my opinion, with Mitch Gaspard's contract being up, you, once you don't get a bid Monday, uh, he needs to go too. And uh, they just need to start over, uh, start a new uh, – they need new energy. I mean, Dax Norris did a great job. It's the pitching coach. If the new guy wanted to keep Dax, I wouldn't be against that at all. But got a funny feeling he'd want to bring his own people, and I think that's what needs to happen because, honestly, I just think these guys have been given every opportunity in seven years to try to right the ship, and I know they had some things going against them. But bottom line, I just don't think when you look at those teams and alive right now and as we speak, Ole Miss is beating Vanderbilt 11-4. to You had seven top ten teams in Alabama left in the true double elimination portion of the tournament, and it was it was easy to see that Alabama was the was the worst team left in the in the in the field. Oh, they definitely were. Uh, um, you know, <laughs> it, let's say that Bill Battle decides to, to make a change, whether or not they make the tournament. Do you call Calvi at South Alabama? Do you call O'Donnell at Louisville? Do you call Heathner at Dallas Baptist? Somebody else? Who do you call first if you're here? If you call first, the, the the first one you call is on my TV screen. And you offer him a blank check and see yeah. if uh, he will come up for a million dollars a year. And uh, if he won't, and, that's, and that wouldn't be shocking if he didn't, then you, then you go on down the list, but... Tim Corbin is the you know, best Corbin? coach in the country for what he's done. Yes, and uh, I would offer him a million dollars and and see if he uh, would come uh, coach the program. If if he turns it down and he's turned down other myriad of opportunities, I would go down the list. But he would start with Tim Corbin. I would see uh, what his interest was. And then I would call uh, O'Connell at uh, at uh, or McC- excuse me, McConnell. Pardon me. I would call McConnell at Louisville, O'Donnell. and then I would or, O'Donnell. Okay, uh, I would call the uh, I would call the head coach at Louisville uh, and uh, gauge his interest, and I would also uh, coach. I would call uh, the uh, the uh, the uh, um, the I would also uh, gauge the interest of uh, Brian O'Connor at um, at Virginia. Uh, I would those are two. I know Georgia flirted with O'Connor a few years ago, uh, but yeah, I would definitely. Uh, those would be my next two calls, and after that, uh, because I think a lot of him and what he's built, and he's very familiar with the state of. Alabama. I, I don't think he would get past Mark Calvi at South Alabama, though. Heathner at, uh, at Dallas Baptist has done a, a very good job. There's no doubt about that. And then, uh, and obviously, I, I've always thought a lot of Casey Dunn because of uh, it's not easy to win at Sanford and uh, what what his father did as a coach and the lineage and who he learned from. But uh, really, to be honest with you, I don't think he would get past Calvi. Uh, but yeah. I've, that's what that's what I would do. That that would be uh, my my top five or six right there. It would be Corbin, uh, McConnell, O'Connor, Calvi, Heefner, and then Dunn. And then, I, but I don't think he would get past Calvi. And you know, I didn't realize Calvi had been the the pitching coach for Ray Tanner at South, South Carolina. Carolina. That, yeah. That's a pretty that's pretty strong, bro. That is pretty strong. But we want to open up the uh, phone lines to callers. 
if you want to have a rant, uh, and that is uh, for you know we want we want people to call us here at Bams Radio. You know, tell us what you think about the Gaspard situation, or ask any other questions you might have for Drew Thomas or myself. The number to call is 714-510-3707. Again, 714-510-3707. That's the BAMS Radio uh, Asian Ram Hotline. Give us a holler on that, and we can talk further. Those are some uh, pretty interesting names that you put out there, Drew. A good, good list. Uh, some of those were on my list. Some of those were not. Uh, but, I, you know, Calvin kind of intrigues me simply because, like you said, he he's, knows the high school coaches here. You know, anybody that coached under Ray Tanner, you know, Kind of pretty much the Bear Bryant of SEC baseball, really. Uh, it's certainly qualified to lead the Alabama program in its new stadium. And the more I think about it, oh, yeah. the more there's I'm no doubt. I mean, even if they get a bid and, and go down there and go one and two or whatever in some regional, even if that happens, I'm I'm still thinking Bill Battle may make a move. Are you, you finally convinced me? Oh yeah, I, I think well, so. Well, first of all, two days ago, as painful as it was. Was for me, I didn't go today, but I did go the first two games. The Kentucky win, Mississippi State loss. It's their midweek pitcher. Watching that, man, um, I mean, Drew, it was like Chinese water torture. Even though the food was pretty oh, good, yeah, I didn't, it didn't even terrific. matter. I was like, like it's just going to be over. And you know why I'm spoiled, Drew? Is because I've been getting to cover some Alabama softball lately. And it's just like I know it's just one one side of the campus versus the other. But you talk about night and day about something being fun to cover and enjoying and looking forward to versus, oh, great, i got to do baseball tonight. That, it's just – it sucks, but it's the truth. Yeah, it does. And, I, again, Tim Corbin has set the standard. And there's been uh, – Auburn has tried to hire him, Oregon. I know he's had offers, and he's turned them all down. But Alabama has the money and the wherewithal. Uh, he has a great setup at Vandy, and already he got, you know, recruiting classes lined up. So it's going to be very, very, very difficult – uh, to get him, but he would be my first call. And like I said, uh, Dan McDonald, pardon me on the pronunciation, but McDonald uh, from Louisville, who's been to multiple World Series, uh, Super Regionals, they're going to be a national seed. He's built Louisville into an outstanding program. Uh, I would definitely, without a doubt, uh, call him. And then Brian O'Connor, they're the defending national champions. Uh, they've been to two straight finals, and Virginia was really downtrodden when he took them over. Uh, again, he, those three are going to be really hard to, uh, to to get away from their jobs, but I still think it's worth uh, doing so and, and, and doing that. And, of course, I've had people tell me, what about Dave Magadan? What about Alan Dunn? What about the thing is, I mean, and Alan Dunn's done a very nice job as pitching coach for LSU. He's never been a head coach. Neither, and Dave Magadan's been a professional hitting coach, but neither one of them have been head coaches, and uh, that kind of scares me a little bit. Uh, I think really that I would want a standing uh, head coach uh, to be the head of the program. And uh, yeah, I know De- uh, Kevin O'Sullivan. I've made point of that that Kevin O'Sullivan. Uh, from at Florida and uh, and uh, and Tim Corbin, neither one uh, were head coaches when they were hired. I understand that, but I just think overall, at this point in time for the University of Alabama, that they need um, uh, they need a head coach and uh, they need someone that knows what they're doing. That's what uh, Jim Wells had done. Honestly, it's on a smaller at a smaller conference, but he dominated if you went back and looked at it at Northwestern State they were dominating the Southland Conference kind of like Dan Heefner uh, at Dallas Baptist and that's why I mentioned Heefner and uh, he's another one that I think would be very interesting but uh, the the reason I put Calvi above him is because they to me they kind of coach on the same level right now and Calvi 
as you know, you as you just got through saying, Kerry, and I already knew this, he was the pitching coach under Ray Tanner for two of their national championship teams and a guy that I really respect in the media, and I've only gotten to know him over the past eh, month and a half or so. But Matthew Stevens, he covered Mississippi State, and now he covers Auburn for the Montgomery Advertiser. Uh, he told me he's just really high on Calvi, and he's – watched him. He was familiar with him at South Carolina. He watched them take apart Auburn. He said they were so fundamentally sound. And, and, and you know, that program at South Alabama had success before, but he's really uh, found a level of consistency, and he's already familiar with recruiting the state. And, and, and uh, Matthew Flat told me, he said, well, you know, it was a few years ago I thought Butch Thompson was two years away from being an SEC-level head coach, and he's now at Auburn. He's like, I think he'll continue to get better. And he said, I think right now, Mark Calvey is the same way. Within a couple of years, he needs to be in the SEC. And I just told him during the segment, I said, well, you know, there's, there, I think there may be an opening in Tuscaloosa. And uh, they may, I would think he would be on the short list. And he's, well, you're, and he goes, I, 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 he goes I, I'll make a note of that. And I just really think that uh, he's done an outstanding job at South. I hope we don't have to get a waiver from our producer's girlfriend if we steal the baseball Coaching Mobile. <laughs> you, you might have uh, to get yeah. a waiver. I know Thomas, producer. of course, is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Our producer, Thomas Watts, of course, is uh, is in a graduate school at South Alabama, has graduated, and is now getting his doctorate there, and he teaches at South Alabama. So he knows what we're talking about. And I had this conversation. Um, uh, I, I had this conversation also with Daniel Boyette at the uh, softball last week in Montgomery, and he's a South Alabama grad and he's like don't take calvi and i was like well i just don't think this is going to end well for coach gaspard and i said uh i think calvi will be on the short list and so i think you know he was mentioned for the auburn job when it came open but uh, i just really think uh, he, he should be on the short list at alabama and there's no doubt in my mind that alabama's an attractive job i mean it's in the sec uh state-of-the-art stadium now uh and and I think there's a lot of good young players on the team, but I just think, and Mark Etheridge, who we'll hear from later in the show, I think there's been a player development issue at Alabama, and I think it really it's, it really centers around the guy in the third base coach's box who was a great player at Alabama, but as a coach, he's just been a complete disappointment. Fair, fair, true, true. Well, like I said, we'd like to hear from you guys. Uh, give us a call at 714-510-3707. And one young man, well, one middle-aged man, has already taken advantage of that offer. Joining us now on the Asian Rim Hotline, Colin Big C. McGuire from Greenville, Alabama. What's going on, big man? Hey, I'm Mike. How y'all doing, Terry and Drew? What's happening? What's going on, How you doing tonight, man? Good. Uh, we just I'm sort of fading out. Let me cut this off here. I may not be able to hear y'all better. Um, how did Alabama come out against um, who they played today? Uh, I can't even remember who they were playing. I know how they did last night against Mississippi State. Uh, they played Florida this this afternoon. Big C. Uh, they uh, they lost five to four. Found a way to lose another one and uh, did. Uh, got off to a pretty promising start. Uh, they got down 1-0, but scored three runs, got up 3-1. to one. But as they done all year long, they they immediately gave the runs back in Florida to tie the game. And before you know it, Florida had taken the lead, and Jake Walters was out. And he's been their best starter. The young man's had a tremendous year, but he uh, had a very short outing today, getting taken out in the third inning. And I think it was very telling 
with what you saw Mitch Gaspar do, that he knew they had to win the game because he has not gone to Matt Foster that early all year. And he went to him in the third inning because he knew they had to hold the game right there and give the putrid offense a chance to uh, get going, which they uh, did not really. They finally tied the game uh, with, with a uh, Connor Short pinch hit. Uh, but once again, the Gators answered right back. Except this time, they had Thomas Burroughs in there by the eighth trying to keep it tied to give him a chance. But even Burroughs, uh, he, he's not perfect. And he gave up one run. But, uh, you know, in years past, Alabama could score on a midweek guy. They could score eight, nine runs and still find a way to win a game. But with this uh, putrid offense they've got right now, which is, uh, as I was on Ryan Fowler's show, right after the game, and you look at the stats, the 21 stats offensively, and Alabama's either – I think the highest they're ranked is hit by pitch, and that's seventh. Uh, but everything is pretty much 12, 13, 14 in the league. It's just it puts too much pressure on your pitching staff. And they just they, they, yeah. they don't have one hitter in their lineup, Big C, that's hitting 300. Oh. And that's just an embarrassment. It's an, it's an indictment to Andy Phillips. And, and to me, uh, that's the reason everybody – People that say, well, give Mitch another year and let him hire a hitting coach. Okay, A, uh, I don't have any confidence he'd hire anybody because he kept Andy Phillips for six years. And B, who's going to want who, – who worth a grain of salt is going to want to work for a dead man walking? Well, so what do you think going to happen in your opinion? He's going to get fired. That's what I think is going to happen. I think when they don't get into the tournament Monday, uh, shortly thereafter uh, – Hopefully the baseball boosters have stepped up. That's what I'm hearing, and I think everybody realizes that uh, that you can queue up Jim Morrison, and we need to play that probably during our break tonight. Queue up the end and uh, and start a new era of Alabama baseball and try to get some energy in this place. Kerry already alluded to it, having covered both teams this year. It's a totally when you when he's when he's talking about going from one end of campus to Road Stadium with an energetic stadium and people happy to watch a great product to go into the morgue, which is a uh, the new Joe right now, as far as baseball, you just you, you've got to get some new energy in there and get somebody in there that can coach and develop players. Well, who you, they make a change? Who you think the candidates are? Well, I mean, we we kind of talked about that before you came on, Big C. But my, you know, my list would begin begin and end with Tim Corbin. And, Vandy now. I would, granted that I know it's going to be very hard to hire him at Alabama, but I would try. I would make him tell me no. He would be number one. Uh, and, you know, and, and then Kerry and I went over some, some other guys. You know, I think we, we're not in complete agreement, but we had a lot of the same people, you know, on our, our list. Uh, we had uh, Dan McConnell at, uh, at uh, Louisville. He was on there. He's, uh, he's an outstanding Ending coach uh, from uh, he's he's been to multiple super regionals and he's been to the World Series and they're one of the better programs now in the ACC because Louisville and that's one thing that's probably going to make it harder uh, to get him because they've switched leagues and now they are in the ACC but uh, and then also after that we talked about uh, I talked about Brian O'Connor from Virginia who's won a national championship in the two straight finals and did an outstanding job there those three guys will be very hard to hire and. To me, you kind of shoot for that, and if you don't get a lot of interest. If they're not interested in talking, then you go to Mark Calvey at South Alabama, who would be, I would think, ecstatic to talk to you, and uh, has a great lineage because much like Jim Wells, who had worked for Skip Berman, 
Mark Calvi worked for one of the greats in Ray Tanner, and he's just done an outstanding job in resuscitating that South Alabama program, who right now is wiping the floor with Alabama on the field. Uh, well, maybe they might. Well, we just have to wait and see what happens. So you don't think Alabama, you think they're out going to the NCAA in your opinion? Well, Kerry can give you his opinion, but I don't. I think they're out. I thought I get I, my opinion yesterday on my show was just looking at the RPI and where they're at. I would have thought they would have felt comfortable if they got to the weekend, which means even after they beat Kentucky, they needed to win a couple more games. They needed to beat Florida and then find a way uh, to win another elimination game and then get the weekend in the final four. And if they got to the final four of the SEC tournament, then they could feel good. But if they didn't, and eh, you gone. They say this is where they screwed themselves. It happened Saturday when Gaspar decided not to start Nick Eichholz, his normal last guy on the weekend to pitch. He decided to start another senior, John Keller, that was basically at best a midweek guy, not even a good midweek guy. And so they lost the game to South Carolina that they could have won if they had started Eichholz, and it screwed their RPI up and made it almost unrecoverable. Uh, they would, yeah, if they I had agree. beaten South Carolina Saturday, and, and Mark Etheridge posted about this, who we'll hear from later on Southeastern Baseball, he said it's way more important what you do today, Saturday, not getting swept, than it's what you do in Hoover, pitch accordingly. Well, I guess Gaspar doesn't follow him on Twitter or doesn't read him because he started Keller and they got beat. They scored enough runs Saturday to win the game, Big C. If they had pitched Eichholz, they scored six runs or seven runs. They, they scored to win the game, and they did not win because they did not go with the best available pitcher. And his logic on this, and uh, it was almost like listening to Mike Shula being interviewed. But his logic on this was, well, we we thought you know going in, we've gone to Baton Rouge and took two out of three. We've got a lot of top twenty-five wins, a couple top ten wins, and we just thought we were in. We thought that we would save our best guy for Hoover so we could make a run newer. Well, the RPI got screwed so bad because. Got swept. If they just won that Saturday game and then turn around and beat Kentucky Hoover, I think they would have. But right now, Big C, I would say their chances of getting in the NCAA tournament are probably about one out of five, and I'm probably being too kind. Their RPI is just not good enough. Well, and I would say about I, I would Big C. I would say I would agree. I think it's uh, I, I think it's even bleaker. I think it's maybe one out of ten. I just think I don't think it's very good because I, you know, I freely said, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand. I wasn't, I haven't been on Bams last couple of weeks, but on my show talking ball, I did say I thought they were in after they swept uh, Arkansas and they beat Sam. But I expected them to win at least one game against South Carolina and have a chance to win two. I thought they were playing much better in South Carolina. Had lost two out of three though to a very talented uh, Texas A&M team uh, at home. But I. I Still thought, you know, okay, this team is uh, has got a chance at home to win two out of three against South Carolina, at least win one game, and th- it was just disastrous to get swept. And I agree with Kerry. I was shocked when he didn't throw high Colts on Sunday, or excuse me, Saturday because it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday. He had done it all year, and then all of a sudden to just think they're in the tournament at that point, it just I, I think that's another reason he needs to be dismissed. He didn't have a clue. He thought they were already in. And, and then it cost him. And then today he managed like he knew they weren't in. Because, as I said, he went to his two best relief. 
Rutgers had to go to had to pull Walters in the fourth inning. Only got three innings out of him or whatnot. He already had uh, Matt Foster in there, so that's why I said uh, Big C. That 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 just that did it for me. And when they didn't uh, when they couldn't win. They only beat Kentucky, and Kentucky's not going to get in either. I'm sorry to Gary Henderson. We saw what happened to Missouri last year. They were 15 and 15, won a game, then lost two, and they didn't get in. And their RPI was around the same as Alabama's and, and, and Kentucky's as well. So Kentucky's not getting in. I don't think Alabama's getting in. And that's why I said you need to look at, at your the Tim Corbin, uh, your Dan McDonald's, uh, your Brian O'Connor's, and your Mark Calvies because Alabama just needs to make a new high. And uh, Kerry can tell you this: if you make a hire and you start winning, people are that's a beautiful ballpark, man. They're going they're going to pack it if they win, but they're not going to pack it right now, looking like Dooney's donkeys. There's just not anything to get excited about right now. Um, yeah. You know, no, <laughs> I, I went to the stadium this year. I went twice, three times, twice as a as a media guy and once as just a fan. Took my nephew to see the Saturday right. Auburn game. And, and, you know, none of it was like – I mean, yeah, I did enjoy beating Auburn in extra innings. But even that game, they had bases loaded, no out, and screwed that up in that game. Uh, yeah. We've been harping all season about situational hitting. Well, I want to ask you something, Kerry. Yeah. Go ahead. No, what I was going to ask you, Kerry, is for someone that sat in the stadium in the Auburn series, because that's your biggest rival – I know they claimed, quote-unquote, a sellout, but how many empty seats were there, I guess is my question. It was probably three-fourths full. The one game, okay. I wasn't there, but one of the three drew. But the Saturday night right, game, right. it was probably three-fourths full of butts and seats. They sold all the tickets, but, you know, the people just didn't choose to show up in every case. Um so, yeah, it was probably – I'm going to say the night I was there, 75% full. And it got loud at times. Uh, Bama found a way to win that game in extra innings on uh, what was ruled an error on a ball Georgie Salem hit. But uh, and it was fun. And my nephew was a big Georgie Salem fan. He met him when he was still – when my nephew was much younger and Georgie was like a senior at Vestavia they met. And um, he just loves Georgie. And Georgie got the winning hit. I'll call it a hit. Scored uh, the runner from the second to win that game. They won that series. But like you said – I predict they'd sweep that series. I was certainly wrong about that. I didn't know Walters would basically not show up Sunday, which he didn't, uh, kind of like he didn't today. Uh, but they needed to sweep that series. They needed to beat UAB more. They needed to beat Sanford more than one time. You know, they needed to split with South Alabama. Um, I'm kind of intrigued by this Calvi thing. I don't know how Battle feels about it, but uh, the more I think about it and the more I hear about him and talk to people in normal baseball than me, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued about the possibility. Yeah, I'm, I've been I've been on that train for a while. Even though I want to shoot a little higher because you never know. But I've been very very intrigued by it, and I think it's a hire that uh, would be a good one. And I don't know why you would discount someone for being at South Alabama. I mean, uh, they've got excellent. Uh, Steve Cottrell was there for a long time. Was a great coach, and they've been a perennial postseason team. And if you could hire someone in a way that's familiar with state uh it would also uh help in recruiting and of course that worked for someone of the ilk of a ray tanner so a hey, matter of fact uh carrie if chad holbrook hadn't turned around this year he would he'd probably be a hot candidate for south carolina yeah yeah he probably would be now that he's gone off and proven himself to be a good head coach but the time and his right 
for Alabama to get him. And, and, and I agree with you. I don't know Mark Calvi from Adam. But I think he'd listen, and I think Alabama could pay him a salary. It would make it worth his while to go from Mobile to Tuscaloosa. We're all just projecting here. There may be somebody else in mind. I mean, you know, there, there's we, we mentioned a lot of good coaches during this first segment, and uh, we are going to uh, go ahead now, Drew, and transition after uh, 28 minutes of baseball talk, uh, which is kind of dreary and, and uh, you know, depressing. We're now going to bring on a – a man, a friend of mine, and that has been the voice the last two years of the Crimson Tide softball program, he gets to call fun games, games that are shorter, games where there are 10 or 15 more wins every year, and a program that is now two victories away from its 11th trip to the Women's College World Series. Welcome back to BAMS Radio, voice of the softball Crimson Tide, Tom Canterbury. Hey, Gary, how are you? Oh, pretty good. Now I've got something to look forward to this weekend. Well, and Tom, we 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 enjoy uh, you uh, being back on with us, and thank you for taking the time. Uh, we know uh, this uh, this softball program. We we definitely try not to take it for granted, but you know I talked about it. I talked to Coach Murphy this week on my show, and uh, we had him on Tuesday, and you know, they're twelve for twelve now for the super regionals. Only school to do that. I think it's a very big time accomplishment, and looking forward now to the challenge of playing against Washington. Who, from co- hearing Coach Murphy, he really respects. Uh, their program and what they're bringing to the table, and uh, we—it uh, should be a really good series. But I think it's one that Alabama uh, should should win, should feel pretty confident in. And uh, I think the biggest reason is, and Coach Murphy, I, I, Tommy D's told me something on my show one time, and he he does a great job covering softball about how instinctive Coach Murphy is. But uh, he's he's got a, he, he I think he kind of knew going into the postseason they needed to get Osorio going, even though you know for most of the year. Uh, Little John has been very good, but Osorio was at her best last weekend and was MVP, and she is going to be huge in the circle this weekend. Yeah, you're absolutely right. First of all, you know, the having the, the 12 straight uh, regional victories and, you know, the only program to make the Super Regional round every year there's been a Super Regional. They've um, they expanded that in 2005. It's just it's an incredible accomplishment and just the, the consistency to be able to have that and just to – um, not have a bad weekend at the wrong time, and you know, in a, in a sport like softball, similar to baseball, you, it's very, it, it can happen to where you just have a bad, you know, a bad couple of games, and, and that happens in the postseason, um, that your season's over. And for Alabama to be able to do that, twelve twelve seasons in a row to make it uh, to uh, two wins away from Oklahoma City, and then finishing the the job more often than not, getting getting to go to OKC for the Women's College World Series. It's as as the rest of the SEC in general, and then college softball as a whole, as other people have have kind of come up for Alabama to continue to be uh, at that level is very impressive. And and I think you're right about Alexis. Um, you know, she it wasn't as though she she had a bad season, but she wasn't at the level that she was last year and just absolutely totally dominating people. And um, and Coach Murphy has referred to you know the couple injuries that she had. She missed up most of the fall, and then had an injury right before the regular season started, which kind of put her behind her normal schedule of how everything is. And she's kind of rounding into her form here at the end of the year. And and it's kind of a it's an anomaly, and I'm a knocking on wood as I'm saying it right now. Uh, but Alabama is probably the healthiest they've been all year as we're heading in to. Uh, super regional play, and then and hopefully the Women's College World Series. You have Demi Turner is back from her uh, arm injury, at least hitting the ball. I don't know if she's going to be able to field 
uh, this weekend or not, but she is practicing uh, fielding the ball. But, uh, you know, just to have her in the lineup in an extra 400-hitter bat with a lot of speed that you can plug into the lineup wherever as a designated player, it's it's very – that's a huge pickup as we go into uh, continuing on in postseason. Uh, Lexi's back to, to her normal form. Uh, Leon Lafayette had a little ankle injury that forced her to miss a, a series a couple of weeks ago, but she's pretty much back to 100%. It's kind of kind of an odd situation where where usually, you know, you're seeing injuries kind of uh, kind of accumulate toward the end of the year. But luckily for Alabama, again, as I'm knocking on wood, it's, it's kind of you know had those and they've kind of moved past them as we move into the to the postseason. You know, Tom, when the season started, I, I didn't understand this at the time, and I still don't understand it now. I guess it was just an experiment. But uh, Murph was playing uh, a different person at shortstop that uh, that is now the DP. And I thought to myself when the season started, why isn't Booker at short? She's such a good fielder. And he, he finally figured it out and has made that change. And I really think that was a key to the defensive turnaround that they had. Uh, yeah, I mean, she's she's been really good at short. And you know, actually, Marissa Runyon, who was the, the shortstop at the beginning of the year, uh, she's not a bad shortstop. And, and, but I think it was just a situation where you weren't really sure 100% what you had offensively from Booker. She's going to be able to make the transition from mid-major college softball as a freshman where she was really good at Southeast Louisiana uh, and then move up to obviously a different level of play. And I, I think Booker had to show him that she was going to be able to do that uh, offensively uh, before you take uh, another spot away from whoever happened to be the DP at the time. And you also had, it's just, you know, there's a lot, he has about 12 or 13 batters that all could play. Uh, and all would be starters at most any program that there is. So he's, he was just trying to find a you know the best way to get his best nine on the field, plus the plus the DP. And I think it was just a situation where Booker had to show him that uh, that she could handle the handle the stick enough to warrant going out there. Because I don't think the step up defensively from Booker to Runyon is is that dramatic. And, Tom, uh, I think, of course, as you've been able to see up close and personal, one of the biggest uh, – we saw Runyon get hot last year down the stretch and really uh, carry the team offensively. But this year it's been Lafayette who has uh, come into her own and had her best year by far and really been on a power surge, getting locked in in the three-hole. But just kind of talk about – I talked to Coach Murphy about that. He always seemed uh, – that, that's the thing that I love about his program, that – players don't backslide. They usually just continue to improve and get better unless they get injured. But uh, Lafayette is a completely different player than she has been the previous three years. She was a pretty good player the first three, but she's turned into an elite hitter now. Yeah, and then what he has said uh, repeatedly to me is that you're you're finally this year seeing the Leon Lafayette that he has seen in practice for four years and that her, her continual um, – dedication and work toward uh, being the type of player that she is right now is, is finally coming to the forefront. And it, it's amazing. She never played first base until she got to Alabama. Now she's defensively one of the best first basemen in the country, uh, made all SEC defensive 
uh, team this year. And then offensively, um, she she finally at she, she has said something to the effect of, you know, she's finally stopped thinking so much and has stopped pressing, and so I just go up there and do what I do, and, and it's really it's really worked out for her. That's for sure. You know, she leads the team. In home runs, she's hit 11 home runs in her last 15 games. She has been uh, absolutely on fire here toward the end of the year, uh, and and is a uh, you put her in that three hole, and you know you can't really pitch around uh, McClenny and Dare as much as you you would want to be able to, and that's what people were able to do last year was you know the way that offense the offense was and Runyon was. She was dangerous, but she wasn't as consistently dangerous as Leona has been this year, uh, especially toward the end of the year. So you were able to just kind of pitch around McClinney, and, yes, she's on base, but nobody can knock her in on a consistent basis. But you can't do it this year as, as top to bottom in this lineup, especially Lafayette at three. Um, the, ta- you know, the tables get set like they do with McClinney. Lafayette is going to knock her in more often than not. You know, we had a, a gap to fill this year, Tom, when the season started at catcher, and it's been filled by the program's first-ever signee from Mississippi, Reagan Dykes. Uh, she's hit pretty well all year. She's hit for power pretty well all year. But something that I've noticed, Tom, and I know you've seen more games than I have, but it seems to me that in the last three or four weeks, Tom, that, that Reagan is having more success throwing out runners. That seemed to be – kind of a shortcoming early in the year, but here lately she's been gunning them down. Yeah, uh, she had, I believe, two in the regionals. And, you know, if you're if you're more following a baseball, uh, if you have a more of a baseball mindset than a softball mindset, it's pretty rare for a base runner to get thrown out. You know, we see a lot of times uh, teams that have, you know, the, their best base dealers are 20 for 20 on the year or, 19 for 19, those type of things. So it's very rarely, very rare for uh, runners to get thrown out on any type of consistent basis. But yeah, Reagan had two throwouts in the uh, in the regional, and uh, she I believe has either nine or ten on the year. And yeah, you're absolutely right. That's a it's very important uh, extra cog to have. And you know, Reagan offensively has been kind of up and down. She started out the year. I think it was an 0 for 16 stretch, if I remember correctly. And then she she came on there in the middle of the year, and she's second on the team in home runs. Uh, but I think I agree. You're, what she's done defensively uh, has, has been really important in what Alabama's been able to do. And, Tom, uh, another kind of underrated aspect uh, that I think that has really helped them toward the lower part of the order and definitely down the stretch when I've seen them play, she continually gets on base and is disruptive. And the thing is, it's another great part of Murph's program. And is he, he, he doesn't have a lot of kids transfer out. And when Andrea Hawkins signed in the state of Texas, and some people had her an even better player than Haley McClinney. And she has had, as coach Murphy has said, some injury issues and some, and of course she had a death in the family which was done really hard on her, I know. But she's really matured this year and had a great senior season and been, I think, an underrated part of the lineup. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely right. You know, she's hitting 377 on the year. And, you know, she's – the way her uh, her swing is, you know, a lot of, you know, slap. And she's able to – she's been able to place the ball so well this year and use her 
uh, user speed up to its utmost. And yeah, coming out of high school, she was you know she was a member of the of Team USA with Haley McClenney. Uh She was as rated as highly as Haley was, and, and injuries have really been an issue for her uh, from top to bottom. You're still seeing you know this year um, in the la- latter innings, she's replaced defensively by Maris Schroeder, the freshman from Houston, in right field because. Uh, Maris has a stronger arm because one of the issues that she's had was a shoulder uh, for Hawk. But uh, just what she's been able to do at, at the plate and, and being a, you know, toward the bottom of the lineup, she, you know, a lot of the year you had Hawkins batting seventh with Grant, Grantham batting eighth and then Callie Case batting ninth. And, you know, Case and Hawkins are very similar type players, um, but uh, Hawk is able – uh, to get on base a little bit more, and she's been just been on base all the time. And if you have people in the middle of the order get on, then she's able to knock them in. And it's, it's, she's she's been having a really good senior year. Um, you mentioned you know she had death in the family. Her father passed away in the off season, and it was a uh, you know the situation where the entire team went uh, to Bay City, Texas, for the funeral, and and surprised her didn't they? Uh, she didn't know they were all going to come, and uh, it's really been a big bonding situation for her and the team and she dedicated the the season to her father and and she's really shown out here in her senior year you know tom i gotta tell you this quick story back before i played softball with you in tuscaloosa i used to play over in atlanta and one of my teammates moms was like the biggest scott case fan ever uh that's callie's dad and she Mm -hmm. had a white number 25 falcon jersey she would watch Every Sunday game in front of her TV, religiously every week. And I've told uh, Scott that story. He got a kick out of it, and I've told Callie the story too. But I'm glad you mentioned Callie because I think this is my opinion, but I think you'll agree. I think the biggest beneficiary of playing time from Jimmy Turner's injury was Callie Case because I think you can agree with me that uh, that, that Dare would have been in the outfield, and and you know Callie would have probably been odd person out. She might have seen some DP time. But Tom Callie has had a a pretty good season offensively, but she has had a great season in left field, all SEC defensive team, diving catch after diving catch. Mm-hmm. She saved some runs out there for this team this year. Yeah, and I think because of that defense, I think that Callie would not have been the odd person out in, in that situation. I think you would have, as we had at the beginning of the year, when you have Demi Turner at second, uh, Hawkins did a lot of DPing. Uh, and Chandler played in right field. I think I think because of what she brought to you defensively, I think Callie pretty much had left field locked down. Uh, and and if you're looking at any uh, any defensive alignment in the nation that has a outfield caliber of McClenney in center and Case in left, uh, that that's gonna they're gonna take away uh, some would be gap hitters and and some runs from the opponent because of just how they're able to cover the ground out there defensively. And you're right, offensively, she's had a really good season. And she's been one of those where you can put her in the nine hole and in maybe not the first time through the lineup, but the second time through the lineup, you know, she comes up, she gets on base, and then McClenney from the, from the leadoff, uh, she can become an RBI person there. Or, you know, there have been several times this year, you mentioned with Chandler, where Case has been on third and McClenney's on, I mean, um, when you have whoever's seven or eight on third and you have Case on second, they'll intentionally or, or unintentionally intentionally walk McClenney. Bases loaded, Chandler Dares come through time and time again in that situation. So it's a, 
especially the second or third time through the order, she's been very productive there in the nine hole. And then, Tom, uh, we uh, you brought up Chandler Dare, but I think her year this year has been uh, very, very crucial because we we saw the year Demi Turner was having, hitting mm-hmm. 427, probably headed for a first-team All-SEC season, but then she has the gruesome elbow injury where it knocked her out of the lineup. But uh, Chandler Dare has picked that up and hit in the high 300s all year uh, behind McClaney, and that's very important because – you know Haley is going to get on base. They don't. Teams don't want to pitch to her. She's only going to get uh, probably two to three pitches a game to be able to handle. But she's going to be on base anyway. And Chandler's been able to continue uh, to uh, not just like the big base hit uh, on uh, on the to end the regional. Really to put it to the nail and the final nail in the coffin against Cal mm-hmm. last weekend. The bases are loaded and she comes up and gets the big single. Yeah, she's been uh, she's come through more times than not this year. She's had an outstanding year. Not only the fact that she had to move from the outfield to the infield, a true utility player, could play six to seven uh, positions defensively, but to move up from where she was hitting six, seven, eight in that area, moving up to the two-hole, where uh, Coach Murphy in the press conference today mentioned it, that saying that um, that the person in the two-hole has to be most in tune with what he wants to do as far as do you sacrifice, do you – Make sure you hit the ball on the right side of the infield to move the runner from second to third. Give yourself up if necessary or, you know, swing away and come through in, in those big situations. And Chandler has done that. I thought she got snubbed to not be on all SEC um, on that team, and but she uh, made it on the, uh, the all-south region, so she'll at least get a look at for possibility of an all-American type season um, from second base. And she's uh, just been tremendous. A junior from Tuscaloosa who uh, graduated this year, but she is going to come come back and go to grad school. Uh, and she, she's a girl that's you know had internships at Google, and you know, she's going to be somebody's boss very soon. And uh, but she uh, just does tremendous for the team, and, and has been very vital uh, in Alabama's success offensively, especially. And something our listeners may not know about Chandler Dare is her longtime boyfriend, Phillips Brooks, walked on and made the football team as a kicker, actually was on the 8A roster. I don't think he ever got in, but he's a he's listed on the Alabama football roster right now. And she has come from, you know, 2A, 3A ball at ACA to playing in the toughest conference in the country. She has gone from the outfield to second base and, and really been a savior of this team. When Demi Turner went down, they plugged Chandler in at second base, and she has just been a warrior out there, Tom. We knew all along what we'd get from McClenny, but I think you could make a case that, that Dare's the MVP because of what she's done with that transition and continue to hit the ball. Absolutely, yeah. And, yeah both on defense from moving into the outfield to the infield. Uh, she has nine errors on the year, which is the uh, tied for the highest on the team with Booker, but you're going to get the most opportunities there in the middle infield. So that's not that big big of a deal, I don't think. More often than not, she comes through with flying colors defensively and then offensively, moving up to the two-hole, and you're not really missing much of a beat from uh, what, what Demi was able to bring you. It'll be interesting to see what uh, Coach Murphy does as far as the lineup uh, as Demi continues to come back to 100% if, if he goes ahead and leaves Chandler there because she's been so successful. And I think that that's if it was up to me, which it is absolutely not, and I will defer, obviously, to Coach Murphy and whatever he wants to do. He's, he's the man on that. Uh, but if you leave Turner there in the two-hole, 
put put I mean uh, Chandler in the two hole. You can put Demi six, you know six or seven, and then you just have back to back a lot. You know you kind of alternate what type of players you have, and uh, and you're really keeping the opposing pitcher off balance throughout that entire lineup with a near a 100% Demi Turner and Chandler Dare batting like she is in the two hole. And then, Tom, we've got uh, a uh, we we got a caller on the line that's a, a big softball fan. I'm gonna go ahead and bring her on uh, Jocelyn from the Shoals area. Tom, she's the biggest softball fan that calls this show. And Jocelyn, the fellow we're talking to is Tom Canterbury, the radio voice of the Alabama softball team. Hey everybody, roll tide. Roll tide. Roll tide. Roll tide. How's everyone doing? Jocelyn. Good. You're doing well. Glad you're, and hope you're doing well as also. I am. I'm, I'm glad now. Today was my last day at at the school that I teach at, so I get to celebrate some summer break now. So. <laughs> I understand nice. that. My wife's also a teacher, so she's she's excited for that to finish up as well. <laughs> but yeah, I wanted to. I just wanted to say a big congratulations to um, Alabama softball team. I mean, I didn't get a chance to go down there and watch them play the regionals, so I had to. I ended up listening to them on the radio, but I thought that um, from what I heard, you know, I thought it was a great win for them and everything. And I just wanted to say congratulations on making it to, to the super regionals. You know, they're now forty-nine and twelve overall. And they're uh, seventeen and eight in conference. So, and I think that's pretty. That's pretty good. Oh yeah, it, the the record to be able to put up a forty nine and twelve record this year against the type of schedule that that Alabama played, one of the toughest, uh, if not the toughest in the nation, with the uh, uh, non conference schedule they played as well. You had Alabama played. 19 teams this year that made the NCAA tournament. You had at least one Alabama opponent in every regional, uh, all 16 regionals this year. Um, it really uh, has prepared them for uh, what they're going to be facing here this weekend for Washington and, and hopefully on uh, as, as we continue on. Yeah, I heard that Washington was supposed to be um, pretty good too. But yeah, oh, they're so. very good. You know, they're the they're the eleventh overall national seed, and you know, yeah. when you get to this point, everybody's going to be good. Uh, Washington brings in a team similar to what they had last year when we played them in regional play. Uh, from an offensive standpoint, they have um, one of the the top home run hitters in the country, Ali Aguilar, who has has twenty one home runs this year, um, and they're a very good hitting team. Most everybody in their lineup hits at least three hundred. Um, Pitching is what kind of did them in last year. They have improved on that. You still you look at ERA-wise, ERA Alabama's three pitchers have better ERAs, and their best pitcher that actually pitches some, they have a, a pitcher, uh, a senior who's only made five appearances this year that has a you know, sub-one ERA, but I don't think you'll see much of her this this weekend. Uh, so it's going to be a, a situation where Alabama's going to have to uh, take advantage of what the Washington pitcher gives them as far as uh, if it's walks or you know it's you, she may leave it across the plate for you. And you have to take advantage of those opportunities, and uh, it may be a situation where Alabama has to outscore Washington a little bit. But um, uh, I think Alabama, the way they're playing offensively right now, they can they can definitely do that. 
I think they will too. And I also wanted to say congratulations to um, Haley and Sydney. You know, they made the academic All American. Mm-hmm. And also, um, Haley made the um, Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. So I wanted to say congratulations on that too. So. Yeah, that's uh, you know I mentioned Chandler and what she's been able to do academically, but yeah, Haley now a four-time academic All-American and second time she's you know the the academic All-American and uh, getting that award from the, uh, the the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame for what she's been able to do academically, the uh, quarter award from the SEC as well. It's just all around uh, she will probably go down as the most decorated both on and off the field in Alabama softball history. Mm-hmm. And I got an update for everybody. Uh, the softball regionals are underway, and Tom was kind of alluding to that, that when you when you get to this point and you play, everybody's good. Well, uh, we've got our first mini upset if it, uh, if it holds for one game anyway. And the 16-seed Georgia Bulldogs are polishing off the number one Gators right now, bottom of the six at three to nothing Georgia. So uh, they could be one game away from uh, upsetting the heavily the favored yeah. Gators, who are the two-time defending national champions. That 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 is, I will not complain about that. Although you know, would not put that down until that final out is recorded, especially in Gainesville. Their uh, Florida is an incredibly yeah. uh, awesome team. Uh, but if you know, I wouldn't mind if Georgia uh, put a couple runs up here in the bottom in the top of the seventh to give them a little bit more extra cushion. But uh, Florida, you know, this year when we had the opportunity, went down there. The Gainesville took two of three from the Gators and uh, played well. She had the opportunity to win all three ball games down there, but they're you know a three-headed monster pitching-wise. Um, to get a game from them uh, would be great, and then you know give, gives you a little bit of a margin of error there tomorrow. But um, it, it's interesting. You look at the, the national tournament, the second year in a row that 14 out of the 16 national seeds advanced out of their regional last year. It was the top 14 seeds all advanced. This year, we saw uh, Kentucky get upset by Utah as the nine seed, and Tennessee get upset by uh, Arizona as the uh, as the 13 seed. Um, it it kind of it, that's the only thing that gives me a little bit of pause because I'm thinking maybe some of these Pac-12 teams have gotten uh, tired of being told how much the SEC has, has overtaken them, uh, and, and to see uh, two Pac-12 teams come out of SEC hosted regionals. I know there was some extenuating circumstances, especially with Tennessee losing one of their best players, Randy Gaffin, in the SEC tournament uh, there. And Kentucky just wasn't playing well toward the end of the year either. But, um, you know, we, the SEC lost a couple of, of their national seeds going into the Super Regional. Yeah, you've always got to pause and uh, respect your opponent and play well. Well, Tom, we really appreciate the time. Sir, we will definitely be uh, listening to your call of uh, tied softball as they uh, they face off against Washington in this huge series starting at 8 o'clock tomorrow night uh, on the ESPN Family Networks. Thank you, sir, for your time, and thank you, Jocelyn. We all You're welcome. always enjoy the softball talk. Appreciate you listening to BAMS Radio and joining us tonight. we got a celebrity caller to bring on now, Drew. Absolutely. We are uh, honored now. I've met this guy uh, at the SEC media days before. Uh, he's a, a long-time fixture on the Paul Feinbaum radio network, and, of course, it's great that he's taking the time out to listen to some Tide 
tonight on BAMS Radio. But on the uh, on the Asian Rim Hotline, we are now joined by Robert from Waterloo, Iowa. Robert, man, how are you doing tonight, my friend? Hey, man, how are you doing? Doing good, brother. Um, how are you doing, my friend? I, I'm doing. I'm doing fine. Uh, I, I want to tell you, I'm sorry to heard. I'm done, I'm sorry to heard about about my bird. Um, I want to know when he died and how he died because um, I'm in a I'm in dark. Nobody nobody tell me. Nobody respond to me how he died. Hey, hey, Robert. This is Thomas. Uh, bird passed away from cancer, and uh, he passed away about oh, he a month did. and a half ago now. From what I understand, he was surrounded by family and just sort of slid into uh, the little embrace of the Lord, such as it were. So that that's what happened. Sorry, yeah, you missed. Sorry, we missed that. Yeah, well, I'm sorry that I heard that from my bird tag away. It, um, um, I I read that I would be able to come to Alabama to meet him. I. I'm sure he, I'm sure he liked me and everything. And I, 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 it, it sounds like I love, I love him. Absolutely. Well, we are still going to have the, uh, the tailgates. We're, we're trying to figure out exactly which games will have the BAMS radio tent. I'm working with uh, Big Head Chuck and Coach Jim Adams about that to figure out our schedule. But, uh, once we figure that out, we'll start publicizing it, and hopefully we can see you down there at some point. I know a lot of people had a lot of fun meeting you when you came down a few years ago. I met old Robert over at the Sons of Saving Tent, man. This is Kerry, Robert. Good to hear from you again. I met you that time at the Sons of Saving Tent, and we're looking forward to you coming back to an Alabama game. Yeah, well, um, I cannot sit here because uh, in July, me and my mom and dad are going to go to test it and and a wedding, my dad, brother, son, and didn't marry. Congratulations to your brother, my friend, and uh, and it was and I met you last year at the SEC Media Days. That was awesome, and I know you got a chance to uh, be on with Paul again. Uh, will Will you be coming to the SEC Media Days in July, Robert? Um, not this year, but hopefully next. Hopefully next year. Oh, baby, you need you yeah. need to you need to send me more information about that. We absolutely will uh, send you some more info, Robert. I, Thomas is the wizard. I know he'll be able to get you the info you need, and we uh, we always want to keep you uh, informed and involved with Bams Radio, my friend. Yeah, um, uh, maybe maybe Thomas can. Send me a tweet, tweet. Follow me on Twitter, and you, you know my Twitter handle. So wait so you can follow me on Twitter and send me messages. Well, Robert, okay. can you Absolutely. give us a big roll time? We will do that. Well, roll time, my brother, and I hope I see you next year. At, at, at ECME update. 
Absolutely, man. We really want to see you. Hope I, I'd like I'd love to get you on Talking Ball. Get you on my radio program. We know you love the Tide, and we thank you for calling tonight. It's been a real pleasure for us, and and continue to be well, my friend. And I know you'll be following the Tide and be the biggest Bama guy uh, in Iowa. Thank you, my friend. Have a great night. Here you go. The first, Robert, you know, for, for folks that haven't been listening to the program as long, Robert used to call a lot when uh, this show first started when we had, you know, Legend and several other Feinbaum, uh, Feinbaum luminaries. It's great to have him back talking to us, and uh, hopefully that will continue. But, guys, I have to tell you, it is officially 8 o'clock. It is time for our one and only break of the evening. We will be right back with more BAMS Radio. We're going to do an interview, and then we're going to have of uh, football with redfish, everyone's favorite time of the year. But we'll be right back for more BAMS Radio. Rolling down a backwoods, Tennessee byway. One arm on the wheel Holding my lover With the other A sweet, soft, southern thrill Worked hard all week Got a little jingle On a Tennessee Saturday night Couldn't feel better I'm together with my Dixieland tonight Spend my dollar Park in a holler Need some mountain moonlight Hold her up tight Make a little loving A little turn it up And on a Mason Dixon night It's my life Oh, so right My Dixieland Munching on clover, red-tailed hawk sitting on a limb. Chubby old groundhog, croaking bullfrog. Free as a feeling in the wind. Homegrown country girl, gonna give me Welcome back to BAMS Radio. I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark, of BAMAMAG.com. Joined, as always, by Judy Armand of SPN 977, The Zone, and Thomas Watts, the Touchdown of Bama Magazine. It sure was great to hear from Robert from Iowa there. That was awesome. And uh, one quick basketball recruiting note before we go to our next interview. Uh, I got a chance last night at the baseball game to talk to a very, very knowledgeable person uh, that has a lot to do with Alabama basketball from a journalistic standpoint. I won't name any names. But that person told me that as far as uh, the fact of adding a graduate transfer big man, somebody like 6'9 or taller, that's probably still going to happen, but that it's probably not going to be for another month or two because they're evaluating more than one person for that position. So Arthur Edwards didn't join the program until July last year as a graduate transfer, and that may very well be the case for the 
coming announcement of whoever it is going to be that joins the team for a one-year position as a big man. Uh, so that's just something I wanted to pass along to our listeners. It's not going to happen in the next couple of weeks is what I'm trying to tell you. They don't even have any visits lined up yet. It will happen, but it could be late June or July. Now, turning back to baseball, Drew, uh, you have an interview for us that you did with, uh, to my knowledge, and I've known the guy for about 10, 12 years, one of the most knowledgeable people when it comes to college baseball that there is. Tell us a little bit about what we're about to hear. Might still be away. <laughs> well, I tell you what, let's go now to an interview that Drew Bjarman did on 97.7 The Zone talking ball with Mark Etheridge of Southeastern Baseball. Mark knows everything there is to know about college baseball and he's great at predicting tournament brackets. We'll go now to that interview with Drew. Yeah, Bjarman. it just wouldn't be in. Uh, both teams had their opportunities, and, and finally LSU was able to to get the big hit to, to uh, take the victory, their magic. and come back and rally possum and whatever else you <laughs> want to attribute it to, that's, they just keep rolling. And Florida, what a tough loss because we got a really quick turnaround, play the second game today, which is probably going to be, you know, sometime around 12, 1230. And, uh, you know, that's, that's tough. You know, like us, I mean, they didn't get out of there till 2.30, 3 o'clock, and you're turning around and playing, you know, eight, nine hours later. So it's going to be uh, going to be interesting to see what they do today. Well, and it's also tough for Alabama in a way because uh, it looked like A.J. Puck, he was lights out. Uh, it looked like they had a really good shot to uh, to beat LSU and stay in the winner's bracket. And then you avoid Logan Shore. Uh, but uh, and now Florida falls into the loser's bracket and you get the SEC Pitcher of the Year in a game that, I, in my opinion, Alabama needs to win. It's a must-win situation. Yeah, I would agree. That is a tough break. I mean, you probably liked your chances with – with LSU, just because you missed Florida is sure. Nothing against LSU. They're playing phenomenal right now. But yeah. you know, pitching matchup, especially with the way Alabama's struggling at the plate, uh, that's, you know, Logan Shore is not what you want to see. And he's he's as good as there is in this league. Uh, you know, he's the kind of guy, if you, you had to win one game, he might be the guy across the country you'd, you'd hand the ball to. So, uh, you know, Florida's in, you know, they're the type, kind of club that's got so much pitching depth. Even though they can pitch 14 innings and go into the wee morning, they've still got bullets left in the gun to use today. So uh, it's a, it's a tough tough chore for the Crimson Tide in a game that, you know, heading into this tournament, uh, because of the way that they finished the final weekend, mm. they, they knew that they were going to have to, to win some games, or at least, most of us knew that we're going to have to win some games. Mitch Gaspar kind of feels like they're in at 15 and 15 in the league. Um, I'm, uh, you know, with their RPI at 58 right now, I, I just don't think that's the case at all. I think that they've, they've got to find a way to win a, win a game, and then then I still think they don't control their own destiny. I still, still think it's going to depend on what happens around the rest of the country with the, with the bubble, how the other bubble teams do, the the automatic bids, you know, does a one-bid league turn into a two-bid league with some upset? So things like that, are, that's got as much to do, you know, with, with Alabama's fate is, is their own, uh, you know, performance. Is, unless they, they go out and, you know, maybe they make it to Saturday, that, that might be enough. But I think that the, the thing for Alabama, though, is, uh, you know, those midweek games that they dropped early in the year just kill their winning percentage, and that's why their RPI is where it is. Mm. 
those are the kinds of games that, you know, especially at home, you lose those games to, with the adjusted RPI formula with, you know, the treats road, road wins better and home losses worse. Those are the kinds of games you can't drop. And for Alabama, that, that's what's coming, to, coming up to bite them, uh, you know, as, as it gets close to selection day. Yeah, it really has. Uh, they, they they dropped too many midweek games, and, and I firmly believe, and I think we're on the same page, I felt like even after they beat Kentucky that they needed to win two more games. They need to find a way to get to Saturday to feel good about it. Otherwise, they're going to be sweating. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think the problem that they've got is that the SEC has seven teams that are probably going to host, and it's such a big divide in, in Alabama – in Kentucky, who's really in a similar spot, they're being grouped in with those bottom teams, the bottom half of the league. And this year, the bottom half of the league was not good. And, and you know, the SEC kind of prides themselves on being deep and, and having that, you know, those like, all of our teams are good. But this year, I, I, don't, I don't really know if that's the case. I think there's a definite separation between the top seven and then, you know, whether you want to, like the distinction of Alabama and Kentucky, you're in a next tier, and then there's everyone else. But uh, definitely, there's a there's that, that perception of a of a gap, and because of that, you could actually have a case where the top seven teams in the conference host, and no one else in the conference gets in the tournament. And that's you know, it's it's just one of those in, in a year with a lot of oddities. That's just one more. Yeah, it really is odd because usually the, the league is used to getting nine to ten teams uh, in the NCAA tournament, but it does look like it could end up being seven. But uh, I do think all seven of them deserve to host, uh, Mark, especially with what we've seen Vanderbilt do so far in this tournament and Ole Miss. Well, it's not only that. It's just there's just an absence of candidates, you know, out west. Right. There, there's not a number one seed host out west. You just can't. You just can't justify it. I don't know how the committee's going to view that, but um, it's usually there's two, three, four, you know, and you know, and this year west of Lubbock there's nobody, and then north of you know Virginia or Louisville there's no one. So it's it's just a it's one of those years where the, all of the all of the power, at least based on the metrics that we use to measure this stuff, they're, they're all in the south and. That's 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 going to be the uh, something to watch on selection day. Is, is the, how is the committee going to view that? Is it about merit, or is it about geographic balance? Is it about conference affiliation? Well, those are the things that, that I'm interested to see how they handle that. Because you know, not only is it important for this year, it sets a precedent going forward. So uh, it's just one of those years where things have not gone. You know, it hasn't followed tradition and whether this is a one-year thing or whether this is the new norm, we're about to find out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's going to be interesting because, and right now we all, I believe we are, everybody believes Florida um, and and Mississippi State and Texas A&M are national seeds. If someone besides those three wins this tournament, are they, is the SEC going to get a fourth? Yeah, I think, you know, yeah, I think, you know, you've got South Carolina who's got a really good case. Um You've got LSU, if, if if they make a run. Ole Miss, you know, is in, in the winner's bracket right now. I think they, they're in play here. And I don't know. It depends on what happens in the ACC. If if none of those teams step up to, to be an eight, then you could really have a fifth 
the SEC team. I mean, they never had more. Any conference has never had more three national seeds, and this year because there's just an absence of of other candidates, uh, I think four is going to happen, and and five is even on the board. And wow, that's that's just uh, you know, it's just not something you would expect, but. And people are going to howl, you know, hey, the SEC or this is an ACC, for that matter, is having a really good year as well. It's just kind of a two-conference invitational. But I, I think based on the measurements and, and the criteria that the NCAA has, has uh, chosen to, to implement, that, that seems to be where the power is. Yeah, it really does. I mean, and uh, the league is, as you said, it's not, the depth is not there, but it's so top-heavy, such good stuff. And uh, as Texas A&M has now retired South Carolina in uh, the beginning of this uh, the 9.30 a.m. elimination game, when you have South Carolina and Texas A&M in an elimination game, it just shows uh, the power, in my opinion, of the eight schools that are here right now. But now with Alabama, Mark, uh, they, as we've agreed, they're in a must-win situation. And uh, and he's been at Alabama a long time as an assistant and now the head coach. But uh, it, I think also the future of Mitch Gaspard is very much in question. Well, what they have, they have to address the offensive issues. Yes, uh, they, it was a problem last year, and, and it has not improved. So, how do you address that? That's the question that 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 uh, the administration has to decide. Is this going to be, you know, a change in hitting approach? Is it going to be a change in the hitting coach? Is it going to be a change in the entire staff? Which way do they want to go to fix that problem? Because if if they had it, just an average SEC offense, they would be trying. They'd be in the in the mix to host a regional, mm. you know, and that's sparkling new ballpark. As it is, I mean, the, because their offense is just in health. I mean, look at the SEC stats; they're, they're last or next to last in just about every one of them. And because of that, that's why their their fate is is so uncertain right now. Because the offense, the the pitching has been, you know, has, has been not only good, it's been one of the better better staffs in the league. It's just the offense is just, uh, you know, it's just been woefully inadequate. And in your mind, and you do as good a job of, uh, of monitoring college baseball as anyone, is it more a recruiting situation or, or player development or both? Well, uh, they have some disadvantages recruiting. I mean, they don't have the lottery scholarships. They don't have the the – what is the out-of-state tuition waivers, things like that, some of the other schools do to, to help mitigate that. But it's it, they have some good players, and they have now, you know, with the new ballpark, they should have a recruiting advantage. Uh, you know, you, are, you have the national brand as it is. You have the – now you have the new ballpark, you know, and, and that's – it's going to take a little bit of time to see some fruit from that, but still, uh, those are you should be able to to, to bring in you know, some, some elite level talent, and then once they get there, you know you you have to develop them. You have to see that that career arc that a freshman gets better as a sophomore and then follows through and, and has a big junior year. And, and I don't know that you're you're seeing that in enough cases to push Alabama to, to where they want to be and contend for the College World Series. I mean, it's been, what, 17, mm-hmm. 18 years since they've been to Omaha? 99. I mean, a, yep. 
Yeah, this is a program that's, you know, for a while there was was you know, contending for the SEC every year and, and was an Omaha favorite, and and now, I mean, they're they're middle of the pack at best every year, and you you have to decide uh, how you want to address that. Is everybody likes Mitch? Mitch is the uh, a, a great person, and and he's had some success as a coach. Um, they just got to figure out is is he the answer? Can he turn this around with the right uh, whatever offenses changes that they make, or do they cut their ties and, and try to go out and, and, and bring in someone to bring some you know bring a different outlook on things? And then finally. Uh, who do you like in this tournament uh, based going forward? It looks like Vandy's in the best position with uh, their top two guys set to throw. Yeah, I mean, it's Vandy. I, I really like the way Mississippi State is playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have nothing to play for, but they came out yesterday and, and looked really good against Alabama. Uh, just, uh, their approaches at the plate, they're, they found a, you know, another starter who really hadn't pitched a whole lot and came in and pitched great yesterday. I, I like them. But how can you do against LSU? They just keep finding ways to win, man. Uh, last night they should have lost that game several times. Oh yeah. And you know, bases loaded, no outs, and, and Florida doesn't score. I mean, things like that. It just seems to be that that they've got that mojo. They've got that uh, way about them. They're not the most talented team. They, you know, they, they have a they have a really good offensive lineup. Their pitching staff is not very deep. But they just keep finding ways. But it'll be a really fun game tonight if if people can stay up for the <laughs> late game. Mississippi State with Dakota Hudson, who's one of the best pitchers in America, against that LSU offense that can really swing it. I mean, that should be a lot of fun. The place, there'll be a big crowd. Uh, there'll be a really wild atmosphere in Hoover tonight. But, uh, to answer your question, I think Bandy is, is set up the best with their pitching. And Mississippi State's playing the best, and LSU's the hottest. Wow. So probably, having said that, there'll be somebody else who'll come through and win it. But, uh, but those would be my three favorites. Absolutely. Well, Mark, always great stuff, my friend. I know you're busy covering this tournament right now. Let everybody know, of course, about your Twitter. And that was Mark Etheridge of Division One Baseball. dot com, uh, who is as good as there is when it comes to college baseball in this state and knowing uh, the SEC. And we just had a final. Uh, the Ole Miss Rebels hang on for dear life. Uh, had a base runner on and a hitter at the plate for Vanderbilt. Uh, Vandy uh, fought to the end, but uh, get Ole Miss credit. They stayed hot. Uh, they went at uh, 12-9 to after leading uh, 10 to nothing. And the Rebels will get tomorrow off, and Vanderbilt will drop down into the loser's bracket and then uh, will we'll play uh, against the Texas A&M Aggies. Uh, tomorrow, so we will see uh, what happens there. They are uh, on Friday at 3 o'clock Central Time, and now the final game will get underway in about 30 minutes, and it will be, as Mark said, a great ball game. Uh, the uh, LSU Tigers and the Mississippi State Bulldogs, the, the SEC regular season champions. But now we're going to go to the uh, back to the Asian Rim hotline. Uh, he's fresh off of uh, I'm, uh, d- d- finishing up some uh, some work so he can uh, go uh, to see his family this Memorial Day weekend, but we thank him for, as always, taking time with us tonight on BAMS Radio. And that's William Redfish Barger, uh, former uh, Alabama offensive lineman and national champion in 1992. William, how are you doing this evening? Uh, Drew, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, while y'all were discussing baseball, I was actually talking to a uh, buddy of mine 
that's a, uh, a staffer for Jeff Sessions, and uh, we were discussing how uh, Jeff and the Donalds are going to work on trying to make America great again. <laughs> well, I, hope, I sure hope so. I will be voting uh, for Donald Trump. I did uh, in, 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 the, uh, re- in the primary, and I will definitely be uh, voting for him to get this nomination. And and, uh, and, uh, and definitely uh, for President of the United States, I think he's what this country needs right now after having to go through the, the last eight years of garbage uh, with what uh, the, with uh, Barack Obama, no question about that. But uh, just your thoughts really quickly. I know a lot of the conversation this week is uh, centered uh, on the – and I'm not even going to try to pronounce the Samoan uh, from, uh, from Utah, the University of Utah, the defensive tackle uh, that visited Alabama. Alabama and you know there's there talk that USC is involved with him and Alabama and Nebraska. Uh, personally, I, I think uh, the young players they're bringing in the recruiting class should be able to help them, and I don't think they're going to offer this young man. But can you shed any light on that situation? Well, you know, maybe just a little bit. I, I think you know, just you know, from from looking at it from from the outside, when you when you see that you know he was not a a full time contributor for Utah last year. Um, you know, how could he come in and, and factor in, um, you know, for Alabama this season? Um, you know, maybe next year if he was in this situation, obviously um, the depth chart would look totally different, um, and maybe he would be a guy that they would bring in. But, I, you know, I just don't expect that to uh, happen, um, you know, from, from everything that I've been told. Um, he's probably going to be – uh, you know, in Dallas in September, you know, for the game against USC, but, you know, more than likely being on the other side of the uh, the field from the good guys, maybe for the USC Trojans. William, you know, one of the reasons that I don't think they need Steve the Samoan is because Ray Davis, uh, Hulk Jones, if he continues to drop the weight, and Quentin Williams from here in Birmingham. Between one of those three guys, I just feel like one of them, maybe even two of them, are going to be ready to help this year. And if that's truly the case, even though it's just a one-year scholarship, I don't see a reason to take a guy that, that wasn't even starting at Utah. And I guess we're on the same page here. Well, no, and I agree with you. And I think, you know, obviously when you look at the – the bad situation that Kendall, Kendall Jones has gotten himself into with his weight problem, um, you know, that's going to be something to pay attention to. Um, I think those guys, um, you know, report Sunday, um, you know, that we're right there, um, you know, at the time where the rest of the, the recruiting class comes in that weren't early enrollees. Um, but, you know, when, when Kendall signed his scholarship, he was 350. Uh, the coaching staff wanted him to, you know, show up at, at 3.30. And, you know, then he ballooned up over to 400 pounds. So he kind of went in the wrong direction. So um, I guess a part of me feels really bad for him um, with what he's going to have to suffer when he shows up on Sunday and, and you know, start the, you know, the Nick Saban, Scott Cochran, uh, the biggest loser contest this summer, which is not a pleasant thing for anybody to have to go through. But I think, you know, one guy that you mentioned, Kerry, when you, if you're talking about interior guys, um, you know, I think the guy that you have to really kind of, you know, take your highlighter out and circle his name with is Raekwon Davis. You know, he's a guy that, 
Um, I think a lot of people um, devalued throughout his senior year in the recruiting process because, A, um, a lot of people didn't think he was going to be eligible and qualify, um, which he has. Um, you know, secondly, you know, he was kind of a a man mountain, so to speak, you know, was raw, uh, didn't have a lot of good, you know, technique, um, you know, went out to the Army All-American game. Um, I had a buddy of mine that actually, you know, was a coach out there in San Antonio back last January and, you know, told me that, you know, hey, you know, these are his limitations. Um, he's raw. Um, doesn't have really good technique, but despite all those things, he was unblockable here for five days. So I think he's a guy. If, if you have to circle one of the guys, if you're looking for interior help, and I do think that's something that Jeremy Pruitt is really looking for so they can have the flexibility, you know, against run-heavy teams, you know, like Arkansas and LSU, uh, maybe even in Auburn, um, where they can kind of flex Darren Payne out um, play him at, you know, defensive tackle or defensive end. They've got to have somebody that can come in and play that nose guard spot. And I don't think it's going to be O.J. Smith. Um, right now, I think the, the two leading candidates that can really maybe provide some relief at that position are Joshua Frazier, another guy that's had some weight issues, um, and, and probably Raekwon Davis. And uh, and also I think Jamar King, even though he's not going to be a nose, but Jamar King will be able to help them. I think in the rotation as well when he gets there in a in a few days. Also, um, I really think uh, I think they'll have enough defensive line depth to be able to do some do the things that they want to do. I'm really excited uh, about to see the secondary development and see how much Anthony Averett is going to improve as if he keeps on the same path. Uh, also, Maurice Smith, because uh, I, I think I think it's likely Hootie Jones has put himself behind the eight ball because of what is probably going to be a short suspension. Uh, so he, but and then we know Tony Brown William. There's been nothing announced uh, about him, but I know you've been on record as saying you think it'll be at least a six game suspension. Yeah, I mean, you know, with with the Tony Brown situation, unless you know the NCAA does something that they typically don't ever do. I mean, you can actually go back to, you know, the Mike Shula era um, when Todd Bates got busted for, you know, taking a over-the-counter over the supplement that had ephedra in it after the NCAA banned ephedra. And, you know, he didn't get any relief. Uh, but, you know, I, from everything that I've been told, um, you know, the, the reason that Tony's been allowed to participate in track is because the appeal is ongoing. But as far as football goes, um, go ahead and plan on Tony Brown having to serve a six-game suspension for the 2016 season. We all wanted to swing it real quickly over to recruiting. Uh, Alabama and Georgia, which means Nick Saban and Kirby Smart or, uh, you know, with friends and Mario Chris Paul, all battling over uh, – Offensive tackle, junior college player, Elliot Baker. Uh, first he was a Georgia lean, now he's a Bama lean. Uh, tell us what you know about him as a player and uh, how you feel Alabama stacks up in his recruiting. Well, I think, you know, based on what happened with Charles Baldwin and his quick departure from the program, 
you know, after only being on campus for four and a half months, um, I think this is somebody that Alabama has, you know, really focused on and uh, has developed a good relationship with him. And, you know, he's come out and said publicly um, that, you know, Alabama is where he wants to go to school. Um, you know, he's kind of fixing to do a little, you know, a southern swing. Um, he's going to visit Alabama, Auburn, and Georgia. Uh, but, you know, he's kind of on the record as saying that, you know, if, if the stars align, he really wants to go to Alabama. And I expect that that situation will, you know, work out in Alabama's favor. Um, I think he is a take for Alabama. You know, when you look at their situation at offensive tackle, um, you know, you've got, you know, Cameron Robinson, who's, you know, playing situation is kind of in flux. Um, I do expect that to have a happy ending. But at the same time, I mean, other than Jonah Williams, who, you know, came in in January and established himself as a guy that's SEC ready as a true freshman early enrollee, you know, with, with Baldwin being a bust and, and, you know, kind of flushing out of the program, you, you know, you're left with basically, you know, Corin Curvin. And, uh, you know, they've got some developmental guys, you know, behind them, you know, Matt Womack, they're, you know, Scott Lashley's going to come in on Sunday. But they really need to bring in somebody um, that, that's SEC ready to play. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, if Elliott, you know, really wants to come to Alabama, I think they're going to be receptive, and that's going to work out. And, William, uh, also, it, uh, it, as far as recruiting goes, it looks like, as of right now, we've talked about Raekwon getting the 19 on the ACT. Uh, we've talked about uh, uh, Hulk Jones needing to drop weight, but he's also been going to uh, getting academic help. But as of Right now, I know things can change, but with B.J. Emmons, he hasn't gotten to the clearinghouse, but I think they feel really good about it. Is what you're hearing the same thing, that it looks like the recruiting class will come in and have a chance to be intact? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they wouldn't be bringing these guys in if they weren't, you know, quote, unquote, already qualified. I mean, there's always some things that can happen, um, you know, when the transcripts go through the clearinghouse process. You know, we've seen it happen before with Alfie Hill and some other ones, um, you know, where they yank guys off the practice field in August because they got bumped out, you know, from the clearinghouse. But, yeah, I expect all the guys that are coming in, um, you know, this Sunday, you know, barring some unforeseen red flags with their test score or their core classes, I expect them to be eligible to play. Tim, I don't think Gustafire is strong enough, more like atomic meltdown of what's going on in Waco, Texas right now. But part of that fallout is people like four-star tight end Kedrick James who commit and put themselves on the open market. Do you feel like Alabama is in a position to snatch up anybody that had been committed to Baylor? Yeah, I mean, I think all those guys are – you know, kind of on the open market right now. They're going to be granted their releases um, by the NCAA. So, certainly there's, um, you know, some guys that can, you know, be had from, from not just Alabama but from other schools. Um, you know, I hate to see that kind of situation play out the way that it did. Um, but, but obviously, 
Well, what's going to be interesting to me, Kerry, is how the NCAA approaches this situation. I mean, do they, you know, take a step back and let the legal process play out, um, which they didn't do with the Penn State situation. I really felt like the NCAA overstepped their bounds there. Um, but, you know, we'll just have to kind of wait and see how they approach that. But, yeah, I think it's a, a foregone conclusion right now that all the, the members of the 2016 Baylor recruiting class are, are going to be granted an unconditional release where they can go wherever they want to. Now, you're asking me for specific names. I can't give them to you. Um, you know, as far as, you know, a guy like that that's a tight end, um, you know, I think Alabama, you know, brought in two guys in this class. Um, you know, one of them is more of a hybrid H-back tight end wide receiver body in Miller Forrestal. Um, that was one of the bright spots of Alabama spring practice. But a guy that's, you know, not going to be on campus until Sunday that I think is, is one of the most undervalued um, recruits in, in the 2016 class. Um, is Irv Smith, the tight end from uh, Louisiana. I mean, he's a guy that's, um, you know, the same height, already a little bit thicker than O.J. Howard is, is a rising senior in college. Um, you know, he's got that body type as a senior in high school, incoming true freshman in college. And, uh, you know, he's somebody that I think you need to kind of, you know, take your highlighter out and, and watch and see what happens with him. Uh, you know, in August, I think he's somebody that can actually help this team in 2016. Yeah, I agree. I, I like Herb Smith, and uh, I, I, I think he's uh, got a, got a chance to really uh, be special as a tight end. I, you know, he he'll pro- he may make he may make the rotation uh, as a freshman, but at the very least, he will uh, follow a red shirt year would be heavily involved next year. I just like his style of play. I like where he came from. It's why uh, they got rid of Brandon Smith and let him go to Missouri. I hate to use that kind of term, but let's just be honest. That's why he ended up at Mizzou, because they found what they thought was a better option uh, in that situation uh, for Alabama. But, uh, I, William, I, I guess my question is right now, uh, we know Gary Dieter is uh, pretty much in Tuscaloosa now and is going to join the squad and immediately – throw himself into the fray uh, with uh, the top three receivers and really four because Cameron Sims really seemed to come fine toward the end of spring practice. I'm, I know we don't know who the quarterback is going to be yet, but I'm really excited to see what this guy – and and if he and I, I'm hoping he has the same kind of selfless attitude uh, that his predecessor did, Richard Mullaney. But I really think uh, this group, he's going to give them a, a red zone option. He and Cameron's that maybe they haven't had. I know Cam, Calvin really is a big play guy, Robert Foster, but we've always talked about the big physical guys in the red zone. I think you're going to have two next year because everybody knows that uh, that Cam Sims wasn't himself last year and should be much improved in 2016. Yeah, you know, I, I, I was told, you know, prior to uh, – well, even before, you know, he had his injury – um, you know, the one guy that, that the Tony Browns and the Marlon Humphreys of the world hated to cover um, was Cameron Sims. Um, you know, because he was such a, a big-bodied guy, um, you know, had very, very elite body control. Um, you know, what I was told was, you know, if there's 10 jump balls, 
nine times out of ten, he's coming down with the ball. And, you know, that was very frustrating for, you know, elite athletes like Tony Brown and Marlon Humphrey to, you know, contend with. Uh, but I think it's an interesting dynamic, you know, at that receiver position. Um, you know, Drew, there's there's whispers out there that, you know, some people think that, uh, you know, Calvin Ridley may not be the best wide receiver on the team this year, which, you know, at, at face value, that sounds insane when you look at what he did as a true freshman. He was the, the best true freshman wide receiver in college football last year. Um, you know, outdid Julio Jones and Amari Cooper's numbers at Alabama as a true freshman. But there's there's a lot of whispers in Tuscaloosa um, that, that the breakout performer on offense, specifically at the wide receiver position, is going to be Robert Foster. And, you know, I, on one hand, you know, when you factor in Calvin Ridley and you look at that and you, you look at it on paper, you're like, well, you know, this is insane. But, you know, just go back and look at what he did in the A-Day game, um, you know, in the spring of 2015, you know, look at what he did prior to getting hurt against Ole Miss, I think it was. Um, you know, he's one of those, you know, he reminds me more of uh, an A.J. Green, um, you know, versus a Julio Jones because of his long, lanky body. Um, you know, but it's a great position for, for Alabama to be in. Uh, you know, and talking about, you know, Dieter and, and how he's going to factor in, um, I think he's got a, a bigger mountain to climb than what Richard Mullaney did, you know, this time last year. I'm not saying he's not going to be, you know, one of the top four or five wide receivers. Um, but if he is one, you know, he's he's walked over some very, very talented wide receivers to get into that rotation. William, i got to ask you a question about if you were an athletic director at another school, in the state, not named Alabama, and you had, and you had to – get rid of your coach because he got the floor wiped with him in the iron bowl and either barely made the bowl and three fours didn't make the bowl. And you had to make a decision in January of twenty seventeen who your next head football coach would be at the University of Auburn. Do you go with Art Riles, Hugh Freeze or somebody else? Well, you know, first of all at face value, um I think Auburn's in a very curious spot, you know, if that does take place. Now, me personally, um, you know, I, I pray daily that, that Gus can win six or seven ball games this year and not get blown out by LSU, Georgia, and Alabama. And I think if he reaches that six or seven um, level and wins and doesn't get blown out by their top three rivals, um, they're not going to get rid of him, um, number one, uh, for, for, for that reason. Number two, I don't think they've got the money to pay that $8 million buyout. Uh, but as far as, you know, if you, if you factor in Art Bryles and, and uh, uh, Hugh Freeze, you know, you're looking at a guy that just got fired today for covering up sexual assaults. And, you know, not just in the college football world, but society in general, that's a very, you know, red-button hot topic um, for, for what he lost his job over today. Number two, you got a guy like Hugh Freeze that's embroiled in a NCAA controversy um, that I think, 
you know, two months ago was looked upon as something that wasn't really that big of a deal. But when you look at how things unfolded on draft night, um, you know, back the first part of this month, uh, all of a sudden that's become a, a big issue. You know, you're looking at, um, you know, Bryles, who based on what he covered up to get a show cause attached to his name, you know, let's, let's just be honest here, um, you know, talking about our own team. Um, I, I feel pretty comfortable in saying that Alabama's former defensive line coach, Bo Davis, is going to get a show cause attached to his name. And he got busted lying to the NCAA about secondary and, you know, third-level violations. Um, you know, what he lost his job over was his own ignorance. It wasn't like he was a arch criminal. But as far as Art Bryles is concerned, you know, I think he might get that scarlet letter put on him. And based on how this investigation turns out at Ole Miss, um, you, you might see Hugh Freeze be in the same situation. I mean, you know, look, look, let's be honest here. Um, you know, the NCAA has text messages between Laramie Tonsil and one of their associate ADs where the associate AD tells Laramie Tonsil to go see Coach Barney the next day and get his bill money from him. I mean, that, at its core, is lack of institutional control. Um, you know, I'm not sitting here trying to say I'm predicting doom and gloom for, for Old Miss. I'll believe it when I see it. But, you know, there's all kinds of evidence there um, for that to possibly happen. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, speculation and, of course, excitement with Alabama fans, of course. Um, you know, you take the Cameron Robinson situation out of the equation with the gun charge. You know, a lot of people are excited and jumping up and down. You know, oh, you know we've, we've got our, our nemesis over in Mississippi that's in trouble, and I do think they're in trouble. Um, you know, well, what's Auburn going to do with Gus Malzahn? But I just don't see Auburn making that move. Um, you know, unless the 2016 season turns out to be like what you saw out of Gene Chizik in 2012, which was a, a total meltdown. And, uh, you know, they've got so much talent over there. I'm not saying they've done the best job of developing it, but they've got plenty of players on hand, in my opinion, um, despite, however, the quarterback situation turns out, you know, to win six or seven ball games, And if they do that, which – is what I hope happens because I want to keep Gus around as long as I can. Um, I just don't know if Auburn's willing to make that move, number one, unless they get embarrassed by LSU, Georgia, and Alabama um, to fork out the money for that $8 million buyout. And if they do, uh, I, I just don't see them going after somebody that's as tarnished as Art Bryles. And I agree with that, William. I think Art Bryles is going to be someone that they want you to kind of lay off, that, that schools are going to be distancing themselves from for a while uh, with what went on at Baylor. That's just a bizarre situation. And, uh, you know, I've always been high on Art Bryles' coaching ability, but he, he's done coaching for a while. I don't think he'll be on anyone's radar screen anytime soon. Uh, but uh, now the uh, speculation, 
action has already uh, started. I had people messaging me today about them, uh, you know, targeting Lane Kiffin as their head coach. Uh, but it doesn't look like right now that Baylor uh, – right. I, th- I don't think the timing would be right, uh, first of all, for them to hire a permanent head coach this late. You would think Phil Bennett, who's a been a long-time college assistant and was their defensive coordinator, would be uh, the interim coach for a year, wouldn't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we're, we're basically, you know, talking about the first week of June now, you know, outside of the month of May. Um, it's it's uh, makes more sense for them to bring somebody in, you know, internally for this football season. Um, you know, I, I'm surprised that Lane's name has kind of come up there. Um <laughs> You know, you, you get rid of Art Bryles for, for all of his sins and what he's done, and you bring in a guy that's, you know, obviously got some personal baggage in his own right. Uh, you know, going to a Southern Baptist University in Waco, Texas, I you know, I just don't think that's a very good fit for Baylor and, and Lane Kiffin. Um, you know, I could be wrong, uh, but I would be very surprised if they, if they made that move. Um, I expect Lane Kiffin to be the offensive coordinator at Alabama for the 2016 season. And, you know, I I think something that's really happened with him, um, you know, since he's been in Tuscaloosa is, uh, you know, his his image has, you know, continued to be rehabilitated. Um, You know, he was a guy that probably got an opportunity to be an NFL head coach and, and, you know, the head coach at two – you know, big-time college jobs at Tennessee and at Southern Cal, probably a little bit before he had the maturity to handle it. Um, you know, as an assistant, you know, he, he's been given the green light and all the, the kid gloves are taking off right now. He's he's doing a great job for Alabama on the recruiting trail. Um, you know, obviously I think something that's been speculated upon for the last – two years since he's been in Tuscaloosa. Um, you know, his, his divorce is, you know, in the process of being final. Um, so, you know, he's got a lot of stuff that's going on in his life away from being the offensive coordinator at Alabama. But the longer he stays under Nick Saban's watch, um, the more those blemishes on his record disappear. And, you know, I think the longer he stays with Nick, um, the, the more viable of a head coaching candidate he becomes. And I think he needs at least one more year of, you know, bringing somebody into the fray that nobody thought could be a productive SEC quarterback. You know, he did it with Blake Sims. He did it with Jake Coker. Um, you know, he's tasked with that same situation this year, you know, with the Alabama quarterback situation. So, the more times he repeats that situation, uh, you know, the better it looks for him on his resume. You know, William, you sort of hinted at this earlier, uh, but I wanted to get you to expound a little bit more. It sounds like uh, you've become pretty cautiously optimistic about the Cam Sim situation, uh, and, and we do know that we do know it's a great chance. That the misdemeanor, I mean, that the felony to be pled not to a misdemeanor. We know there's a great chance of that if it's not dropped altogether. But if, if it's all dropped to misdemeanor and then takes care of all his legal situation, then it becomes an internal situation. 
And with the amount of time between now and Labor Day weekend, uh, taking that into account, do you still, or do you feel, I don't want to put words in your do you feel like there's still going to be some game time missed by Cam this year? I'll say this, Carrie, and I'll throw you a couple of different scenarios out there. I think that, you know, the, the, the best case scenario in this whole thing is that the gun charge gets tossed out. Um, if that happens, then I don't think Cameron Robinson will miss a play. I think he starts versus USC. Um, if the gun charge gets reduced to a misdemeanor charge, um, then possibly, yeah, he misses the USC game, but that's it. Um, I, I, you know, and I think that's something that, you know, you saw, you know, two years ago with the way Nick Saban, um, you know, started handling discipline. Um, they do handle it internally, um, and I think it's a very productive way that they handle it um, with, with what those guys are tasked to do to, to, you know, get back in good graces with the team and the coaching staff. Um, but, you know, when, when you look at how the, the Geno Smith, uh, you know, ha- deal was handled with the multiple DUIs, um, that thing was handled internally. You know, a lot of people thought he was going to dismiss, be dismissed from the program when he got the second charge. Um, and I'm not saying – you know, I don't know if he was convicted of one or two or convicted of none. I'm just talking about charges. Um, but, you know, he never missed any playing time. So, you know, there's a track record in place for everybody to kind of follow. But I would, I would kind of look at it – and, you know, we're – what, two and a half weeks away from, you know, the court date. So we'll find out some stuff early on in the first part of June. But, you know, the way I'm approaching it is um, if the gun charge is tossed and all they get convicted of is is misdemeanor marijuana possession, then, yeah, I don't think he's going to miss any playing time at all. Um, If the gun charge is not tossed but it's pleaded down, to a misdemeanor gun charge, then I would expect maybe, you know, this won't even happen, but I would expect him to maybe get a one-game suspension, but that's it. And, William, just to, to, to circle back to recruiting, I know there's been a lot of talk about Najee Harris. He put on a freak show uh, recently in Los Angeles at the opening uh, uh, combine, and then he and and uh, to a t- t- Tago Viola, um, that's the best I can do right now. Uh, both uh, were invited to the opening, as to no surprise, uh, both of them. And, and they look to have some chemistry going. And been, there's been talk of them being tight friends uh, and that uh, Tua's uh, pledge might help them keep uh, Najee Harris. But I know you've become a little more optimistic of that. Kind of give your reasoning uh, behind the Najee Harris uh, commitment, and, or at least that you, that you think there's a good chance it could stick. Well, I, the, the first reason is, is, you know, number one is his high school head coach. Um, and I don't know if it's the June camp or the July camp, but his high school head coach is, you know, coming to Tuscaloosa to work one of the football camps. Um, you know, tentatively, Najee is scheduled to visit Alabama twice this summer. Obviously, one's going to be when the head coach comes to work the camp. And, you know, there's supposed to be a second visit. Um, you know, when you look at it, you know, just on paper without any type of inside information, um, 
you know, when you look at, you know, Damian Harris and both Scarborough situations, um, you know, if, if both of them have, um, you know, good seasons, you know, there's a chance that, you know, both of them go pro after the 2017 season. So, you know, you've got the, the ability to sell the depth chart. Um, you know, obviously there's a strong track record since Nick Saban's been at Alabama with what he's been able to do with running backs, you know, going from Glenn Coffey to Mark Ingram, Mark Ingram to Trent Richardson, Trent Richardson to Eddie Lacy, Eddie Lacy to T.J. Yeldon, and obviously with what Derrick Henry did last year. Um, you know, there's there's two Heisman trophies. Um, you know, Burton Burns has the reputation of being the best running back coach in college football. Um, I'll say this, um, you know, taking all that stuff out of the equation, uh, based on what I've seen out of Najee Harris going all the way back to when we first saw him, you know, burst onto the scene as his 10th grader in California, um, with, with what Alabama has in play on the depth chart for, with, with offensive linemen, um, if Najee Harris does come to Alabama, he's going to win the Heisman Trophy. Um, and the reason that I think um, things are starting to look more positive for Alabama is Najee Harris is an early enrollee. Um, you know, if he does, even if he only makes one visit this summer instead of the two scheduled ones, um, he's going to go back to California in August, go through, you know, his high school practices. Um, you know, that season, depending on how good they are, is going to stretch from you know, the end of August, 1st of September, all the way through Thanksgiving. Uh, then he's only got three to four weekends of official visits in December before the dead period starts. So if somebody's going to flip, you know, the clock's ticking and they've got a very limited time frame to do it with. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, they they can sell them on, on, on what Derrick Henry did. You know, he was, you know, Two years ago, he was the third-team running back before Derrick Henry – I mean, uh, before Kenyon Drake got hurt against Ole Miss, um, you know, when TJ was the guy. Uh, you know, last year, obviously, he was the bell cow. And, you know, you saw what Lane Kiffin did with, with Derrick Henry. I mean, he handed him the ball, you know, 28, 32, sometimes 40 times a game and made him the focal point of the offense. You know, if you're an elite running back and you want to – you know, get exposure and, and go to, you know, the, the NFL draft, you know, be a three-and-done guy, what better place can you go right now in college football than to come to Alabama? Well, kind of kind of piggybacking on that, uh, former Alabama commitment, Cam uh, Akers, put out a top ten this week. Alabama's still in it with him. I think we all three or four think in our guts he's going to end up at Ole Miss. Uh, he seems a little bit enamored with Tennessee, and now recently he's got on this Ohio State kick. But even though Alabama's in Cam Akers' is top ten, is it fair to tell the fan base not to count him ever playing Tuscaloosa unless it's on the other sideline? Um, you know, Kerry, you know, 18 months ago when he committed to Alabama, um, you know, one of my buddies that played at Ole Miss told me, don't get your hopes up. He's coming to Oxford. And, you know, this is somebody that I pay attention to. Um, I do think ultimately that is, you know, where he ends up. But, um, you know, with with Tennessee having a, 
you know, a depth chart at running back where Jalen Hurd's going to go pro this year. You know, there's a chance if he wants to, um, Alvin Kamara could go right with him. Um, certainly they've got a positive depth chart. You know, with Ezekiel Elliott being gone, you know, there's certainly a, a you know, a, a good depth chart up at Ohio State. But, you know, both of those schools are a long way from home for him. Um, I, I, I truly expect him to end up at Ole Miss. Um, and, and, again, I think it's – if you look at what's going on with Cam Akers and Najee Harris, um, there's a lot of crossover in the schools that both of them are interested in. Um, you know, they're, they're the northern schools, um, you know, Ohio State feels like they've got a good chance for Cam Akers. Um, you know, obviously Michigan thinks they've got a good shot at Najee Harris. I, I disagree. Um, if Najee Harris doesn't stick and, and come to Alabama, I expect him to stay at home at, at you know, USC or UCLA. Uh, but it's interesting watching, you know, two guys that were both, you know, one of them still is a commitment, but, you know, both of them at one time um, were early commitments to Alabama after spring practice last year. Um, so it'll be interesting to watch both of those situations. But, you know, to me, in my mind, um, you know, there's Najee Harris and then there's the rest of the field. And, you know, Cam Akers is a, you know, a converted wildcat quarterback that's looking to play running back in college. And I don't think he is the same level of a prospect that Najee Harris is. I mean, that guy, mark my words, if he ends up at Alabama – um, or Ohio State, um, I, I can't say the same thing about him if he stays home and goes to UCLA or USC. But if he goes to Alabama or Ohio State, he's going to win the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, that's that. I agree with him. I think he's a freak, uh, a very special talent. He has wide receiver type skills. Uh, also, when catching the football, he's very impressive doing that in the seven-on-sevens and can't really wait to see what he's going to do for his senior season. But, man, we want to thank you for joining us uh, tonight on BAMS Radio. Uh, I know you're going to be trekking up to Nashville. Enjoy your family uh, for this holiday weekend, and I know we'll be talking with you again soon. Uh, thank you, man. Always great knowledge, and I know the BAMS Radio listeners appreciate it. Hey, thanks for your carry. I enjoyed it. Yes, sir. That's William yes, Redfish sir. Barger. Uh, a great conversation, uh, Carrie. Some very interesting thoughts on a myriad of subjects related to Alabama football. And I think we also did say before uh, we, we went on with William, but I want to reiterate, there is one final in Super Regionals in softball, and that is uh, the Georgia Dogs did beat Florida 3 nothing to take a one nothing lead in that Super Regional. Top of the first, Mississippi State already threatening two on, two out against LSU as we're scoreless. And don't count out Arizona upsetting Auburn that Super Regional softball this weekend. And, uh, thank you to Tom That's Canterbury right. and Josh Radio. And of course, Robert from, Robert from Waterloo and from Waterloo, Iowa. Great to hear from all of them. We love the uh, softball talk tonight as well and the baseball. Hope everyone enjoyed BAMS Radio. Enjoy your Memorial Day. I'm uh, Drew Armand for Kerry Clark and for Thomas Watts, the Wizard. Roll Tide, and we'll see you next week.